This, this is the Pat O'Keefe Show. We're right in the middle of the NFL season, the college football season. By the way, Alabama has gotten into the end zone, so it's 13-7 to 7 Tennessee with less than two minutes to go before halftime in Tuscaloosa. This is what I mean about this Alabama team. Watch, the end of the year, if they win this game, the end of the year, they're going to be there because they don't need it to be pretty. You know, the last three quarterbacks, four quarterbacks they've had have been very high draft picks into the NFL. Now, they haven't always performed well in the NFL. It's still very early for Bryce Young. Uh, Mac Jones, it's been a struggle for him, to say the least. But they're down 13-7 to against this Tennessee team. Uh, so we're right in the middle of the football season. The baseball playoffs have been really good. I mean, really good. It looked like two days ago, three days ago, that the LCS, the ALCS and the NLCS were both going to be won in a walk by the Rangers when they won the first two games in Houston and then by the Phillies when they dominated the first two games against the Diamondbacks. But now we got two great series. Houston's won three in a row. They're one win away from returning to the World Series. And the Diamondbacks have returned home to Arizona and even that series against the Phillies. By the way, the Phillies have to stop going to Craig Kimbrell. Rob Thompson, their manager who took over for Joe, Joe Girardi, brought him to the World Series last year, has done a really good job. I mean, this is a team built for the postseason. Really good starting pitching at the top of the rotation. You don't need a deep rotation to win in the postseason. Fantastic lineup. Shaky bullpen. And Craig Kimbrell, I always thought that Craig Kimbrell was one of the more overrated players in baseball. Early in his career when he was on the Braves, and he does that stupid thing where he sticks out his arm and he looks like he's like waiting for a parrot to fly in and land on his arm. He had some success early in his season, and then he started to bounce around from team to team to team. He hasn't been effective on a high level, a high consistent level in like six years. And here you are, back-to-back games, you bring him in, and yesterday was a disgrace. I mean, that could cost them the series. They had a three-run lead. In the eighth inning. And this guy comes in and coughs it up and gives up a huge pinch hit two-run home run the day after coming in and giving up a walk-off hit to let Arizona back in the series. You have now single-handedly, by going to this guy two games in a row, let a team that is not as talented as you get back into the series. They play tonight at 8 o'clock in Arizona again. Zach Wheeler, the former Met, who's been awesome, against Zach Gallen, who was terrific during the regular season. Really good pitching matchup. Um, you know, considering Arizona's at home, best pitcher on both teams, I, I, I give it a wash. It's a toss-up for me tonight. All right? So you got the baseball, and then, of course, the NBA starts this week. NBA starts officially on Tuesday night with a great doubleheader, as they often do. The Lakers against the Nuggets. Um, the second game on Tuesday night. After the Lakers and the Nuggets and the Lakers will see them raise their championship banner in Denver. You have the Phoenix Suns in the Bay Area to take on the Golden State Warriors. That, I believe, I'm almost positive, that'll be Kevin Durant's first trip back to the Bay Area in which they have had fans in the stands since he left after the 2019 season. All his time in Brooklyn, he never played at the Chase Center when they had fans there. So that's something, too. 
Uh, and then, of course, Wednesday, the Knicks, the Celtics at the Garden. You can hear it here on ESPN New York and the ESPN app, which is new this year, which is great news for us and for you. And then um, you have the Nets and the Cavaliers at Barclays Center also on Wednesday night. But as far as the ALCS goes, last night the Rangers appeared in position to retake control of that series. Um and then the Astros just did what the Astros do. But it was just such a crucial, crucial mistake on the part of the Texas Rangers and specifically Adolis Garcia, who's a really good player and has had a good playoffs. Garcia got hit, or excuse me, hit a home run earlier in the game uh, in the sixth inning, a three-run home run that turned a 2-1 to deficit into a 4-2 to Texas lead. His next time up in the bottom of the eighth inning with a runner on, okay, and the relief pitcher for Houston on the mound, Brian Abreu. Abreu hits. A ball got away from him. Hits Garcia with a fastball. And Garcia loses it and gets in the face of not the pitcher, but the veteran catcher, Martin Maldonado of the Houston Astros. And Maldonado, by the way, if you watch the video clips, pulled a Jason Varitek where he's involved in a confrontation and refuses to take his helmet off. So that's soft, by the way. But that's not the point of this conversation. The point is Garcia, in a crucial point of the game, with his team three outs away from winning their third game in the series and going back home with a chance, or excuse me, going back to Houston with a chance to close out the series in either game six or game seven, allows his emotions to get the best of him. The bench is clear. There's... This lengthy delay as they sort this thing out. And eventually, in the top of the ninth inning, after all of the focus was now taken off winning for the Texas Rangers, the Astros, and Jose Altuve did what they and he has been doing seemingly his entire career, hitting a go-ahead three-run home run to give Houston a 5-4 to four lead, a 5-4 to four win. And now the Astros are heading home, leading three games to two. They need to win one of these next two games, and they are going back to the World Series. And every time I see the Astros, and look, I have no love for Jose Altuve or Alex Bregman or Carlos Correa, who's no longer on the team, um, but especially Altuve. Every time the every time I hear Yankee fans complain, I mean I can't even say this without laughing. Every time I hear Yankee fans complain about the Astros cheating in 2017 and the fact that here we are, six years later, and the Astros have been to the ALCS every year, and they went back to the World Series in 2019 and they lost, and they went back to the World Series in 2021 and they lost, and they went back to the World Series in 2022 and they finally won again, and they're a game away from going back to the World Series, and it's just clutch performance after clutch performance, and it's the same guys. It's Jose Altuve. It's Jordan Alvarez. It's Alex Bregman. It's Justin Verlander, who was there and then left and has come back, and he's clutch again. Enough with the cheating. Do you know how, how foolish it makes the Yankee fan look that they're still complaining about cheating? All right, they were cheating. What has happened since then? Are they still cheating? Maybe the Yankees should start cheating. You know, the Yankee fan has complained about this for the last six years. And the Astros probably laugh at it every time because I, I are they still cheating? Who knows? Probably no more so than anybody else. What they are doing is they come through in the clutch every single time. 
for a baseball for a group of baseball players to do that. It really does remind you, and Yankee fans are going to hate this, and this comparison has already been made. It reminds you of the late 90s Yankees. This is what they did. The late 90s Yankees would have bounced back from a benches-clearing brawl with their backs to the wall in the eighth inning of that game last night and come up with a big three-run home run in the ninth inning, exactly like the Astros did. This is the closest thing that baseball has seen to those Yankees since those Yankees. And isn't that ironic? You know, the Yankee fan in 2017, well, more specifically in 2019, when it came to light about the cheating scandal that led to suspensions and people losing their jobs, and there were actual serious repercussions. But the narrative in 2019 and 2020 was that the Astros cheated and they didn't earn their 2017 championship and it was somehow stolen from the Yankees or it was stolen from the Dodgers or um, or the Red Sox. They have kept their heads down. They have dealt with so much vitriol everywhere they go in baseball and all they do is keep on winning. And Texas last night, specifically Adolis Garcia, was not focused on winning. The focus for Texas was, I don't know what the focus was, but at that point in the game, you can't incite a benches-clearing brawl. With your team up 4-2 to two in the eighth inning, get hit, take your base like a man, have first and second, go for an insurance run, get back into the dugout, and try to get those last three outs to regain control of this series. They had control of the series, and you give the Astros an inch, and they hit a three-run, go-ahead home run, and now they have a chance to close this series out at home. It has to be so frustrating for Texas Rangers fans. It's still frustrating for Yankees fans, and it's frustrating for any baseball fan who still expends energy by hating the Houston Astros. 1-800-919-3776. Let's go back to the phones. It's all on the table. Let's go to Artie in Brooklyn. What's up, Artie? Hey, bud. How's everything going? Thanks for taking a call. Yep. Uh, look, as a as a Jeff fan, to not be excited about the Eagle win, you got to be nuts, right? But with that said, in my mind, they're not a playoff team. I mean, it's not their fault, but they got a backup quarterback, they got an unproven coach, and their offensive line is depleted, and they they just got another injury in Timmons. And look, the defense has caused. Um, has caused turnovers, right? Nine turnovers or whatever. Their defense, that kind of defense they're playing is a top-five defense. And then people ask, how the heck did we lose to the Patriots? How many pay, how many turnovers did, did we get, get from the Patriots? Yep. None. Yep. We didn't turn them over. So in my mind, when you play a good team, good teams don't turn the ball over and – um, if you if you just see the Jets are not going to get. I mean, I guess they to, in order to make the playoffs, they're going to have to. But I I just don't see them turning good teams over three you know three at a time. And then not only that, but then you're getting guys that don't miss field goals, miss field goals. You're getting um, good coaches like go for a first down. I mean, go for a, a passing when they could have ran. They ran the clock, things like that. So. I mean, what do you? What's your take? Do you think this this team is a playoff team? It's just this question: Are they better than the Browns? 
it's funny. They're very similar to the Browns. And thanks for the call, Artie. That's a good question. I think they're similar to the Browns. Both of those teams have excellent defenses. I think the Browns' defense is better than the Jets. The difference between the Jets and the Browns, the Browns have their starting quarterback, Deshaun Watson, coming back. But let's be real about this. Ever since his legal troubles and the fact that he sat out two seasons, Deshaun Watson has not been the same quarterback. We have not seen the guy who was leading Houston to come from behind wins in the playoffs. So I don't know if that guy's still in there. Are the Jets better than the Browns? They're very, very close to the Browns. Are the Jets a playoff team? Not ready to say that, Artie. Are the Jets in playoff contention? 100%. You look at the NFC right now. And by the way, it's seven teams make the playoffs right now. The division leaders are Kansas City, Miami, Jacksonville, and Baltimore. The wild card teams are Buffalo, Pittsburgh, and the Browns. Pittsburgh and the Browns are both 3-2. Three and two. The Jets are 3-3. Three and three. They are one half game out of being in the playoffs right now. All the teams around the Jets are the Browns, the Steelers, the Colts, the Texans, the Raiders, and the Bengals, and the Chargers, Okay. Who scares you in that group? The Bengals do. Yeah, they've won two in a row, and they have Joe Burrow. Do the Chargers scare you? No, not with Brandon Staley as their head coach. And what has Justin Herbert ever, ever, ever won? Let's go to Michael in Manhattan. What's up, Michael? Um, I want to talk about a couple of things. Um, the New York Liberty first, I'll, and then I'll get to quickly who you mentioned sitting out. They set the league back with their behavior, I believe. These last in that, you know, finals, whining excuses and no shows at pressers. The WNBA is supposed to be a model, a forward looking model. And what the Liberty did, it's ridiculous. You lost they lost because they didn't play defense. But the behavior was just terrible. Um, so I wanted to say that and okay. they're gonna have to do a lot go forward in the future. Okay. Uh, Brianna Stewart didn't show up, the MVP. Dunkwell Jones didn't play for half the year, then at the end she did, etc. Now, with the Knicks, that was the dumbest quickly sitting out, as you said. I didn't know that. The last two games, yeah. I mean, that's NBA's farce. Well, the Knicks have already seen what he can do. It's just a problem with the league. It's so dumb. Last point is, the Knicks need to get to the Eastern Conference Finals to validate their trajectory and what they're doing. No more second round. They should have won the second round last year versus Miami. I agree with so, that. So, Knicks, keep going. Uh, Michael, thank thanks you. for the call. Um, look, the, the Liberty, did they set the WNBA back? I think the totality of this WNBA season um, was probably uh, more – beneficial to that league than any other in two decades on Sunday afternoon. And I don't know what the attendance was on Wednesday in the final game Sunday afternoon at Barclays center. They had 17,000 plus fans there for a WNBA finals game, 17,000 plus. Okay. If, if you don't follow the NBA closely, um, that's fine, but just a quick uh, background on that. All right. In the off season, Free agency was all uh, uh, finally allowed in the WNBA. The Aces of Las Vegas were already the champs. Um, they spent big in free agency. So did the Liberty. They basically created like a super, quote-unquote, super team on either coast. One in Las Vegas, one in New York. These two franchises were on a collision course all season long. They met in the WNBA finals in game three when the Liberty won. 
to go down two games to one. Chelsea Gray, the point guard for the Aces, got hurt, had to miss game number four, last year's WNBA Finals MVP. The Liberty jumped out to a big lead. The Aces came back without their point guard and won the championship in four games at Barclays Center in Brooklyn. I think this past year and what came out of those two super teams, the Aces and the Liberty, did more for the WNBA than any season that I had witnessed in the last 20 years. Uh, 1-800-919-3776. We'll talk about quickly, and we'll talk about the Knicks situation and the rest of the NBA in about 10 minutes with my man Tommy Beer. He'll join me right here on 98.7 ESPN New York. This This is the Pat O'Keefe Show. 1-800-919-3776. Go to Jose in Brooklyn. What's up, Jose? Hey, good afternoon, Pat. Shout out to the company. I definitely wanted to chime in and talk about, you know, the Jets because I definitely am optimistic and I do think that they're a playoff team, a playoff contention team. It's just more of can Zach Wilson actually make that step up into being a game manager? Because I think people have really downgraded the word game manager. Game manager meant that you also had a quarterback that could actually put the ball into the end zone and the, you know, the disrespect that, you know, Brock Purdy had gotten, you know, that I feel because the system is so great in San Francisco and he has all those great weapons, but you know, we do have Garrett Wilson. We do have Tyler Conklin. We do have Brees Hall. We do have Michael Carter. We do have all these other weapons on the Jets side. And what's hap- what we're missing is a game manager quarterback that could actually put the ball in the right places for them to make the plays consistently. So, I wanted to know what your take on that was. So thank you for your time. Anytime, Jose, and thanks for the call. Look, you got to look at Zach's last two and a half games. It started to click late in the second quarter, the Taylor Swift night, if you will, when the Chiefs were at MetLife Stadium. And it was 17 to nothing, and people were heading to the exits when the Chiefs jumped out to that large lead against the Jets. It looked like it was going to be another ugly performance because they were coming off the ugly loss to New England, which was coming off of the ugly three-interception performance to Dallas. And then they let Zach play I was gonna say let Zach cook they didn't let him cook they let him play um more free uh, they, they took off the reins a little bit and he played a fantastic fantastic game it was the best he's ever looked for a half then you go to Denver did he look like that no but he didn't have to because the Broncos are a terrible team and they're very 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 poorly coached and then did he look like that against Philadelphia no but the Jets defense was fantastic there were a couple of questionable coaching decisions in that game uh, by the Eagles and their coach Nick Sirianni Jalen Hurts wasn't great Um, we had a caller I think it was already last segment say that you can't rely on kickers missing kicks or coaches making bad decisions why not you know who benefited on stuff like that last year the Giants and where did that lead them it led them to the playoffs it happens it happens I think we 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 can all agree that historically the Jets have not been the beneficiaries of an abundance of good fortune can we all agree on that so maybe just maybe they're due for Jake Elliott to miss a makeable field goal, for Nick Sirianni to throw the ball downfield when they probably should have just kept the ball on the ground. This is how the Giants won last year. The Giants had that great comeback in Tennessee to open the season, but it still was going to be for naught if the Titans kicker was able to make a makeable field goal at the end. 
He didn't. The Giants won. They were off and running. They were down, I think, 14 points, if not 10 points, to the Ravens. And then Lamar Jackson, for the last 10 minutes of that game, lost his head. And he threw a brutal interception. So, yeah, occasionally the other team makes mistakes as well. Whether it's mental mistakes, whether it's coaching mistakes, or whether it's missed kicks. But what the Jets have done, and this is where Salah deserves some credit. As a game manager, am I impressed? No. When they got the ball back after that interception and the Eagles parted the Red Sea and Salah didn't tell his guy to kneel it at the one-yard line and they just waltzed in and started celebrating with a minute 45 to go and gave the ball right back to the Eagles. My God, that was horrific clock management. But what Salah has done now for two years, a year plus, last year and this year, so a year and a half, what he has done has built a defense that has kept this team in playoff contention for the last two years without a quarterback. Quarterback's getting a little bit better. Last three games, two touchdowns, one interception, two wins. Would have been three wins, too, if he didn't take his eye off that snap and fumble that shotgun snap in the fourth quarter against the Kansas City Chiefs. All right, we're going to talk some basketball with Tommy Beer, uh, who's all over the Knicks and all over the NBA as well. He writes the What's on Tap with Tommy Beer newsletter. Uh, that's coming up next. Some preseason predictions. We'll have a little fun uh, on our with our frequent guest here on 98.7 ESPN New York. This, this is the Pat O'Keefe Show. My good friend Tommy Beer. He's the author of What's on Tap with Tommy Beer. You could also follow him on X at Tommy Beer. How are you, Tommy? Do well, Pat. How about you? I'm doing well. So I wanted to get you on. wanted to go through some predictions, see who you think is going to you know, make it into the playoffs in the NBA this year, maybe an uh, MVP pick or two. Uh, I want to fire a couple questions at you first. And regarding the Knicks, it's Emmanuel quickly right now with that deadline a little less now than 48 hours away to sign the uh, extension off of his rookie contract. Where do you see this going between now and that 5 p.m. deadline on Monday? Yeah, we're we're getting close now, and uh, if you're a Knicks fan, I think there's definitely cause for concern that there doesn't seem there's as though they're picking us up steam. Um, although we know that the Knicks front office tends to move in silence a little bit, um, but yeah, make no mistake, I'm of the belief that it is incredibly important that the Knicks lock up Emmanuel quickly, um, even if it uh, comes at a cost that seems. Um, a little bit outrageous, you know, because you got to remember the cap's getting ready to spike. They got that new TV, two TV deal coming in. Um, so anything in the area of 20 million, 22 million a year um, may seem somewhat exorbitant for a relatively, you know, he's not a full star. He's a role player. He's a bench player. Um, but what he brings to the Knicks, especially when you look at the analytics, the plus minus, um, the Knicks, uh, you know, their defensive rating when he's on the floor versus when he's off the floor. I think it's very hard to overstate the importance of a man quickly. So for that reason, I think it's imperative that they lock him up. You know, you mentioned 22-24. If I'm quickly, I look at Hart, and he just got 20 on his extension. And I'm saying I'm younger. I'm a better offensive player. Uh, I'm a homegrown guy. You know, I want 24-25. Do you think the Knicks would have an appetite for that if that's what he wants? I think that's on the you know on the far end of the extreme. But listen, you know Devin Vassell, the Spurs guard, drafted in 2020, along with uh, Emmanuel Quickly, got more than that, got 135 million guaranteed over five years. If Quickly's looking for that 24, 25 million a year, I tell him, okay, let's stretch it instead of four years, let's go five years. So I lock you up from your 20, age 25 to age 30 season. 
Um, and then I get you, you know, so, so, and maybe put a player, uh, a team option on that last year. Um, and I wouldn't be upset if the Knicks, even if the Knicks had to go like five years, 120 million, um, four years, 100 million. I think that's relatively close to fair market value. And I think it's difficult to kind of put a price tag on, on IQ on what he brings in terms of your know, insurance policy behind uh, Jalen Brunson. Um, and if I'm IQ, I'm asking for that much because, again, you know, again, the Knicks thinking is, okay, if he asks for too much, we, we push it, we kick the can down the road, He's, he'll still be a restricted free agent next summer um, so we can match any offer. But don't be shocked if a team, a young rebuilding team, say the Spurs or the Wizards, that need a point guard, offer him that 25, maybe 27 million a year. Um, because, you know, if you look at his numbers as a starter, you know, he basically averaged around 25 and five. Those guys are few and far between that also contribute on the defensive end. So I think the Knicks are playing with fire if they kind of rely on, don't worry about it. We didn't sign a deal extension. We'll, we'll, we'll match whatever contract he gets next year. You might be shocked at the contract he does get because all it takes is one team being willing to overpay and then you're really in a pickle. But that's why I agree with you that it's important to get him locked up before this deadline on Monday as well. So let me ask you this, and you kind of hinted around it. If they don't come to an agreement and he enters the season, the last year of his contract, and he would be a restricted free agent after this coming season, if they don't sign this before the deadline, what is the likelihood that quickly is on the team next year? You just add so many more factors. I mean, one rationale for saying we're not going to sign into the contract extension is important to note is that he's easier to trade mid-season. Um, there's a lot of CBA language. I won't bore you with the minutia, um, but essentially you can, you, you'd have to send out a lot more outgoing salary than you take back. Um, if you were signed to an extension before that extension kicks in, and again, the extension wouldn't kick in to the start of next season, the 24-25 season. Um, so that's one rationale, one reason for delaying. And, and, and um, you know, so but then, you know, does Embiid demand a trade? Does Carl Anthony Towns demand a trade? There's all those all these other X, fact, X factors in there that, that are hard to calculate. Again, I think the Knicks value quickly. Um, but we do know that the that the Knicks like to do things on their terms, Leon Rose and company, in terms of value. You know, we thought that uh, you know RJ and and uh, and the Knicks might come to a kind of a you know a, a fork in the road. He decided to take a little bit less. Um, if I had to put a percentage on it, I still think they keep him, um, but I wouldn't put it higher than maybe 70, 60 percent, just because there's so many other things that can go into him getting through the entire season. And then, like I said, another team offering a huge contract, and then you're kind of put in that tough position where you want to hold on to him. Um, but, you know, is he going to be you know, paid a lot more than the starting point guard? Just kind of complicates things a little bit. Tommy, let's look ahead to the upcoming season uh, in the Eastern Conference. And it's funny because it, it felt like forever the Western Conference compared to the East, there was a big talent gap the last couple of years, that gap didn't seem so wide, but I don't know. All of a sudden, I look up, and it seems like there's a, it's a lot more difficult to come through the Western Conference than it is the Eastern Conference in the NBA. Do you agree with that? I do. I, I think you have the two real heavyweights at the top of the conference uh, in Milwaukee and Boston, obviously kind of a, a tier amongst themselves. But after that, you know, it, it, no, I don't think anybody would be shocked if you said the Cavs will finish third or the Sixers will finish third. Maybe the Knicks jump up to finish third. Um, you know, and, and any of those four, five, six, seven, eight slots can go any which way. Um, whereas in the West, there are juggernauts from one through six through eight. Through, I mean, you could pick eight or nine teams that, that have a chance to win 50. You wouldn't be shocked 
if the Timberwolves, for instance, won 50 games, um, Lakers, obviously, Nuggets, there's, the Suns are going to be a, a really good team. Um, so I agree with you. Night in, night out, um, I think it's going to be very difficult for teams to, uh, you know, there's no nights off. Um, we don't have as many teams tanking. There's no Victor, Victor Wembayana in next year's draft. Um, so you're going to kind of get, not only do you have, uh, you know, powerhouses at the top, but you also have a lot better teams, you know, even fighting for that playing spot. So um, I agree with you. I, I think, and especially in the Western Conference, you just have a real glut of really good teams. And we'll stay in the East because that's where the Knicks are. But last year you had three upper echelon teams, the 76ers being yep. the third, along with Milwaukee and Boston. And look, Philly, yes, it ended in disappointment in the playoffs again, but they were up 3-2 to two on their home floor in the second round of the playoffs. If they were able to close out that game, Maybe they go to the NBA Finals. but so they, they were a legit team last year right up until their season ended. But now they take a step back, or, or it seems like they are, with this James Harden situation. Um, how do you see this playing out? The latest Harden missed a couple of practices this week, uh, didn't play in the preseason game last night. And it seems like uh, when a week ago, maybe he would just, you know, put his head down and play to start the season. Now it, it seems like that might not happen. Yeah, Pat, I just, I, I, listen, I, I can't buy into, I, I can't invest uh, in, in good conscience it suggests that the, that the Sixers are going to be okay and everything's going to right the ship. Um, I've seen it too close. We've seen it hit close to home in Brooklyn. Um, where, you know, at the start of the season, teams are excited. This is the year that Kyrie is going to behave. You know, they got Harden and, and everyone. These guys, they just tend to, for whatever reason, something goes wrong, something goes south. Um, even when they're, even at their healthiest, as you mentioned, they were up 3-2, but then they disappeared in game six and then game seven in Boston. Um, you know, Harden obviously doesn't have a great postseason record. I personally uh, am of the belief that it's, that they, you know, Dal Morey has to swallow hard and take, you know, whether he thinks it's 50 cents in the dollar, 70 cents in the dollar, and get Harden out of town for any chance for this to be a successful season. Um, I understand that's not what he would prefer to do. I understand he doesn't want to, you know, lose out on a talented player like Harden. But you have Maxie, you have DeAnthony Melton. Um, as a Knicks fan, I kind of like the, uh, the, the, the shadow, the dark cloud of Harden hanging over that franchise uh, because I think it increases the chances that at some point, maybe sooner rather than later, Joel Embiid says, I'm not going to deal with this anymore. This is, this is completely, you know, this is, I'm in the heart of my prime. Uh, who knows how many healthy years I have left. I don't want to find out, you know, uh, from day, one day to the next whether Harden's going to show up for practice or games. Let's say he comes back for the start of the season. Who says a month into the season he doesn't pull out back, you know, back out from the team again? Um, it's just too many nightmares, right? You know, too many potential headaches down the road. So I'm out on the Sixers. Speaking with Tommy Beer, the author of the What's on Tap with Tommy Beer newsletter covers the Knicks and all things NBA. All right, I want to give you my playoff teams in the Eastern Conference. Let me know who, if any you disagree with Tommy um, Milwaukee and Boston. I think they're pretty obvious. Um, you on board with Cleveland and the Knicks as top six teams in the East. Yes. I go Atlanta and I still can't quit the Sixers being a top six team because of the presence fair. of Joel that's Embiid. Fair. Okay. What yeah. about Atlanta? And then Maxi and, and good depth of the bias. Uh, I like Atlanta as well. I think they're a little bit underrated right now. 
Um, I think we, you know, we kind of overrated Trey Young to start with. Now we've gone too far in the other direction. Um, this is a guy that's capable of leading the league in, in, in points and assists every, you know, every, every start of every season. Um, good depth. I kind of, you know, maybe a little addition by subtraction uh, with the John Collins situation, uh, DeJounte Murray quality guard. So, yeah, I think they're right there in that five, six. You can make a case for them being as high as four or five. Yep. And they also have a good coach in Quinn Snyder, who's had regular season success. I, I think that's a part of the Agreed. Uh, the equation yep. as well. My, my two teams coming through the play-in tournament in the Eastern Conference. Once again, Miami, and I have Indiana there. I'm high on Indiana as well, Pat. I, I, I think, uh, you know, their, their over-under number, I was looking at it, um, was like 35 or 36 or something along those lines. I think they are, definitely have the capability of winning 40 games this season. Um, I really like kind of the way that the, the pieces are fitting together. Obviously, we keep an eye on Obi Toppin out there. Tyrese Halliburton, one of the best young point guards in the league. Um, so good depth, good, well-coached team. Uh, I think they're a team on the rise that could surprise them. The West for me, Tommy, is harder. I'll give you my top six. These are the teams that would okay. be in the playoffs, avoid the play-in tournament. Denver, Phoenix, Golden State, the Lakers, Minnesota, and Memphis. Yes, uh, I think that makes sense. I'm a little bit higher on Memphis than most. I think, um, obviously, the, the John Moran situation is the, the major unknown. That's the X factor. Does he When he comes back, does he have his head on straight, and can he focus on playing baseball? Has he finally learned his lessons after his you know, second and third and fourth strike? Uh, but, yeah, I really like the, the rest of that roster, um, you know, you know talent up and down, the, the way they get after it, athleticism. Um, so they're a team I think can surprise some folks and get up as high as, you know, maybe that number two or number three seed. Last two teams for me in the West, and let me know if you have anybody on your list that I do not, but I go with Oklahoma City and I go with Dallas. Yeah, so I, I also want to be out on Dallas and, and say that they're not going to you know, qualify in the top six. So I think a lot of people have them you know, in that top six or rather the top eight rather than you have. Um, again, I, I'm kind of of the, of the mind that uh, any team with Kyrie, Kyrie Irving, um, you bet the under on them at the start of the season. You've done well the last three, four, five years. Um, teams have been better with him off the court. Um, but I can't quibble. Uh, I think having them in that 7-8 spot, um, you know, even if they have to, even if they finish, you know, nine or ten, I think they can win a, a two-game series. Um, just in Luka Doncic uh, alone is is an incredibly talented player. So I, I don't, I, 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 I'd be remiss if I said I don't. I, I think they're going to miss out on those top eight spots. Last year, notwithstanding, it's hard to imagine Luka not winning forty-five games. Um, but that, and this is your point about the West because I don't have the Clippers. And I don't have the New Orleans Pelicans, who, if Zion Williamson plays, and we know that's a huge if, no pun intended, yeah. Yeah. Are, are a very good team. Who, who did you have, 7 and 8? Uh, OKC in Dallas. I have the Clippers instead of OKC okay. in, the, yeah. in, in that final slot. Yeah, I just, I just think eventually, you know, it's by sheer numbers, at some point, um, you know, the, the Clippers, you know, stay healthy for, for the majority of the season, I think. And I think OKC is going to get there. I think they're going to be a title contender. I think Shea Gilders-Alexander is going to be an MVP candidate um, year in, year out. But I think they're a year or two away from conference establishments. And obviously you're not saying they're going to, you know, be a title team now. But even in that 45-win range in a packed West, uh, I think they kind of fall short of expectations. That's fair. I mean, it is year five for Paul George and Kawhi. So, hey, those fingers for Steve Ballmer uh, remain crossed. All right, a uh, couple of quick ones for you. Um, you have a preseason uh, MVP pick, or are you waiting to make the pick on one of your social outlets? Uh, no, I'm, I'm going to go with Giannis. Um, and speaking of the East, 
Um, I'm a little bit lower on on the Celtics. I shouldn't say that. You know, I, I think they're going to you know, finish fifth or anything like that. I just don't. I, I think the I have the Bucks winning the, the coming out of the East and, and eventually win the championship. Um, I'm not as high on the Celtics as most. Um, my concern is I, I didn't love what they did in the offseason. I think they needed to get a little tougher, so I don't like them trading. They're kind of the heart and soul of that team and Marcus Smart um, and, and Greg Williams, I think, was an underappreciated contributor. Um, obviously, the Drew Holiday trade um, covers up a lot of those areas of concern, and, and I love Holiday as a player, um, even though they gave up quite a lot, you know, and obviously Robert Williams and, and Brogdon. Um, but my concern with the Celtics specifically is the front court. Um, listen, if they, everyone stays healthy and can they beat anybody, any team in the NBA in the seventeenth, absolutely. What happens if Al Horford goes down, who's 37 years old for an extended period? What happens if KP, who ha- is, is notoriously uh, injury-prone throughout his career, Porzingis played really well last season, looks sharp, um, fresh, and, and, and looks good at the start of the season. They just don't have much depth behind those two guys. And so relying heavily on those two players, especially um, if, when you have to run up against the likes of Embiid in the postseason. Horford's done a good job. Can he continue to do so at age 37? Giannis and Brooke Lopez, those, you know, that powerful front court. Um, so that's my major concern. I, I agree that the upside is really high with Boston, but there's also a scary downside that I think is, if we ignore it, um, we may do so, you know, Celtic fans may do so to their bench. So real quick, you have Milwaukee winning it all. Who do you have them beating in the finals? I got nuggets coming out of the West again. Um, just, uh, you know, I, 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 I think it would be Phoenix, Denver, um, and that West Coast final should be an amazing series. Obviously wouldn't be surprised if that, that three headed monster with KD Beal um, uh, and Booker, you know, advances to the finals, but I, I think it, it would be a great series, but I have Milwaukee beating Denver uh, in the NBA. Finals. I have the same matchup. I have it the other way around though. I have Denver winning again over Milwaukee uh, with Jokic as my MVP for the third time in the last four years. So we shall see Tommy. Always appreciate you coming on. I know you're going to be real busy with the season starting in just a couple of days and we'll talk to you down the line. Looking forward to it. Same touch Pat. Thanks a lot. Tommy Beer, great follow on X at Tommy Beer. Read his newsletter, What's on Tap with Tommy Beer. A lot of good Knicks and NBA content there. Always enjoy having him on. A couple calls to wrap things up next on 98.7 ESPN New York.